This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Blog Talk Radio. edition of Wrestling Authority Radio. My name is Statistic Sean David, and I am joined tonight by my co-host. The Dean of Wrestling Referee, Steve Kane. And tonight we are going to attempt to do this again. We attempted this about maybe a month or so ago, and uh, when we attempted this, we unfortunately were hit with the news of the passing of Kamala. So we're going to attempt this once again tonight, and knock on wood, we don't get any terrible news like that here tonight. Yeah, we've already been through it this week. Yes, uh, we we lost a good Speaking friend of in which, Road Warrior tomorrow, Animal. Right, Go ahead, Steve. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, um, you will be able to listen to the first anniversary show that uh, Joe was a guest on in its entirety. So you'll be able to listen to that, uh, and uh, it'll finish up right before uh, pre-show for Clash of Champions. Yes, and uh, man, what a one-year anniversary that was. I don't know who booked him originally, if it was you or Gabe, I forget, but um, I know that that was a night that meant the world to all of us. I did. And, um, uh, and you know, that was, a, that was a big night for us, and um, Joe was such a great guy, much like Mike Animal was. 
um, or uh, Mike Hawk was, sorry, and it was just uh, yeah. de- some devastating news to be hit with earlier this week. Um, the reason we are here tonight is to, uh, on this very day, at this very time, 11 years ago, I was standing in a wrestling ring in the little town of Ashton, Illinois, and I opened the very first Rebellious Wrestling Federation event, RWF Arisen, in front of about 100 or so people. Um, And uh, this was done because of the guidance and tutelage of Ed Schumann. It was also done because there had been several um, things that had happened in the following years leading up to this that had um, made some of the people that I worked with um, really adamant about the fact that I could do this on my own. Um, I had a wedding photographer that I, who was a good friend of mine that um, in 2009 when HCWA was running the Bureau County Fairgrounds, I had come and do shoot the shows for us. And uh, there were some situations in HCWA Midwest that led to me leaving there. And um, I went back to work for Big Daddy in the Quad Cities and um, had no problem there at that time. And, uh, I, I, you know, I told big daddy, I said, Hey, I've got to, I've got to take some time off, man. I've got to have my Achilles tendon relengthened, uh, due to the cerebral palsy that I have. It was the third time that I had my Achilles tendon relengthened and I had that done in August. So, um, there were some more situations that happened. And finally the wedding photographer, whose name was Steve, I came to me and says, how bad do you want to do this on your own? And I said, I want to do it. I'm afraid to do it, but I think I can do it. And um, he became my financial backer. And um, originally, the first show was going to be with WPPF. Um, That was the original intention. And I had done some going through of my old black book of my contacts and happened to run across Ed Schumann's phone number. And I said, I'm going to call Ed. I said, I don't know if Ed's still doing anything with the NWA or not. I know that there were some NWA Midwest territories still running, but not as prominent as what it was when I met Ed in 2004 when NWA Midwest was kind of starting to take off here in the Midwest. Um, I called Ed, and I said, hey, I've got a date. I've got a venue. I've got my insurance policy. I've got everything uh, pretty much locked in. I said, I need some, I need some high quality talent. And I said, and um, I have seen what you're doing with the NWA. And I think that this would be a great thing to bring to my promotion. And Ed gave me the numbers of Silas Young and Keith Walker and Mischief and um, a couple other people. And I made contact with them and got them booked for, our dates, um, which we, we booked three dates in a, in a row. We booked uh, September 26th, October 23rd, and November 14th of 2009. Uh, we were going to do a December date. I'll get to that a little bit later on why that didn't happen. Um, and we, we went to the races. I started booking some other talent. Um, we had the thing that uh, I was always taught, in wrestling 
is you pay respect to those uh, that have paved the way for you. What that means is you look back and there were a lot of people that I came into contact with that helped me along in my career because you have to remember I broke into the business in 2002, actually a little bit before that. Tim Lyle, I, I did some managing on you know, more like kid managing on one of his shows with freight train and the kid characters like that. But, um, and Tim found a way to get me flyers to have me take them into the elementary schools until the schools banned it. So, um, always, you know, when, when Tim ran the first show at the Prue mall that I was free, it was about 97, maybe 98. Um, I got, my first experience of independent wrestling and got to get in the ring. And I knew then whatever it took, this is what I wanted. And everybody laughed at me and said, well, you're, you're never going to be able to do that. And you know, all of that. Well, my parents were, I was a premature baby. I was three pounds, three pounds, eight ounces at birth. I was on 80% oxygen. They told my mom and dad, ain't no way this child is going to make it. Then at age three, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. They told my parents I'd never walk. So I've always kind of been defying the odds. And I've kind of used that as a fuel to make naysayers see that I, I, I can do anything that I put my mind to. Um, I had moved to Ashton. We had been looking for a venue for the first show. And I wanted the first show to be in Princeton. But unfortunately... Um, I was still friends with John Kometz, who had been running Princeton with HCWA Midwest. And um, out of respect, I did not want to step on his toes. And it also came to be that his territory would become an NWA territory later that year. HCWA folded and NWA Optimum was born. Um, Ashton came to be because it was a great building, Steve will tell you. I don't mm-hmm. know that oh, I've yeah. ever been in, another, in a better nice venue place. for wrestling than that um, on an independent level. I know Steve's been in some of the bigger buildings that I've never been in, but on an independent level, that building was perfect for wrestling. Um, and because I, it was in my hometown, I could be more hands-on with it, which was great. Um, I was 18. I was, you got to remember folks, I was 18 at 18. I, I, you know, people know me. I have, I'm, I'm lippy as, as all shit. I was even lippier back then. And Steve <laughs> will tell you that. Uh, cause Spike Dudley yeah. quickly, when I did the seminar with Spike Dudley, Spike Dudley quickly put me in my place and Steve was there to witness that. So, um, Oh yeah. You know, it was, it was one of those things you learn to be humble. But getting back to it, I wanted to give back to people that had uh, been a positive influence on my career. Um, Sin was not working at the time. Uh, my trainer, Benito Gonzalez Sin uh, from Wicked, I believe he had retired at that point. He was doing other things. And um, Mel was pretty adamant that he could not come back to the business, even though that was one of my wishes, was to get him involved and kind of thank him for taking a chance on me when I was 13. Um, so we went in some other routes and gave some other people some thanks. So this, uh, this first event in Ashton, September 26, 2009, Barack Obama was your president. 
Uh, things were a little bit better in the world. The economy wasn't where we wanted it to be wrestling-wise, but uh, we did we did everything we could. So yeah, you um, also didn't have to wear a mask to a show and only have so many people in a building. That's correct. And this was this was before. Um, man, I don't I don't like saying this, but business kind of busted on its ass a couple years after this, and it just it took a couple years for it to bounce back. So in our opening match, it was Danny McKay, who I had met from working down here in LaSalle for Revolution Championship Wrestling. Um, I decided that. Uh, originally, I wanted this match to be Danny McKay versus Cameron Jacobs. Cameron Jacobs decided that he wanted to be a snitty little bitch with me and did not feel that I deserved to be running my own promotion um, because he was training with Bobby Houston, and Bobby Houston got in his head and just made him an arrogant prick. Um, so Danny McKay versus Nick Cutler. Nick Cutler had been working for Big Daddy. That's how I had – and over in Indiana, that's how I'd heard about him. Uh, watched some of the footage. I thought, okay, this would be good stuff. The match was good until Danny McKay blew out his knee. McKay blew out his knee in this match, and they had to take it home quickly, and the finish got screwed. Um, so that was like Ed's first critique. He was like, you blew your first match, kid. I was like, ouch. Um then you had the hooligans, Devin and Mason Cutter uh, against Counterculture, Matt Cage and Neil Diamond Cutter. We're going to do a watch along on that. It's on YouTube here in a little bit. Um, the hooligans I had met at WPPF about a month prior. And when I saw these guys, it brought me back to classic tag team wrestling. You were not seeing a lot of this on the independents in 2009. You had some tag teams, but not like this. These were two guys coming out there being stiff as shit with their opponents and brutal and their name fit them to a T. Uh, their opponents were Matt Cage who, um, you know, Cage has really uh, went on to become quite a somebody uh, and could have been somebody more um, had he not faltered some bookies. Uh, he teamed with Neil Diamond Cutter who Steve and I know from Wicked Wrestling Alliance the good old brother of Angus McDuff, Seamus McDuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve had to ref one of the matches that Seamus had back in Wicked in the early to mid-2000s against Tristan Hayes, and it was a leather strap match. Oh, God, yes. Oh. Mm. I wince when I think about that. <laughs> So um, this I hate, was a brute. I, even though I'm not the one that's take that was taking the shots, I always hated stipulation matches like that because it's like somebody is going to get very seriously hurt, and they still have to live life after this match is over. Uh, it was. <clears throat> It was very, uh, you know, that was a brutal match back in the day. Uh, we're going to do this watch along here in about uh, five minutes or so. I'm going to run down the rest of the card, and then we'll come do this watch along and come back and talk about the rest of the card. Um, 
Then we had a three-way match, the Canadian Cougar against our buddy Aaron O'Ryan. And Aaron, if you're listening, buddy, um, your son Wyatt is still in my wishes and prayers. I know he's getting better and uh, supposed to be getting released from the hospital, uh, hopefully within the next week or so. So that's fantastic news. Mm. Um, I, um, I, uh, uh, man, that little kid's a warrior. Uh, the Canadian Cougar was in a match with Aaron O'Ryan and the gay bar superstar Bobby Valentino. And Bobby Valentino um, just came to be. It, you know, uh, Silas said he had this guy riding with him, and I, I looked him up, and I said, okay, well, he's been wrestling a while. Sure, why not? And I did not know what to expect when I saw Bobby Valentino. And, oh, my Lord, did the fans almost riot because – Ashton was, I'm just going to put this politely, Ashton was Trump country, Trump country today. Very redneck, very um, just (laughs) uh, not the kind of thing that would be very accepting. Straight beyond straight. (laughs) So um, that was a really good match, and we'll talk more about that here in a bit. Then you had Steve and I's old friend, the Mississippi Madman, against Bucky Collins with the dodgeball superstar Tyler Pregel in his corner. It almost became another three-way match, but uh, I had to put the stop to that before that happened, even though Madman was willing to take them both on. Then uh, Mason Beck against Chris Corvus. Um, these two had a fantastic match absolutely fantastic match looking back on it from a booker's perspective and from a fan's perspective this is another match that just embodied everything that we were looking to do with this company um then the match that i talked about uh, right when we kicked off the program kyle o'reilly against tony kazina um this i wish i had on tape and this is this match was the reason uh, because O'Reilly impressed Ed Schumann and I so much that we gave O'Reilly the match with Carino the following month. Um, because O'Reilly, we did not know. We had known that he had moved down from British Columbia and had his training up there and had kind of been traveling with Cozina. And uh, we didn't know what to expect. So we'll talk about more about that uh, in just a little while. And then uh, the match that uh, we had on the card was already made. Uh, Silas Young versus Rashi Brown. However, the night before the event, I got a phone call from Ed Schumann, who decided that on um, in a video in on Chicago Pro Wrestling back when it was being used, he was going to announce that this match would now be for the NWA Midwest Heavyweight Championship, as Silas Young, the then champion, battled one half of the NWA Midwest and one half of the NWA World Tag Team Champions, Rashi Brown. Um, Man, that thing we'll talk about here in a bit, too. Um, And then the big event that happened after that main event, NWA Midwest title match, we're going to do a watch along with that, too. So, uh, folks, if you want to go ahead and pull up to YouTube and type in RWF Arisen, counterculture versus hooligans, uh, we're going to start this watch along now. And uh, this is from our first show, September 29th. 2009 RWF Arisen 
from the Mills and Petrie Memorial Building in Ashton, Illinois. It's the Hooligans, Devin and Mason Cutter, against Neil Diamond Cutter and Matt Cage. And three, two, one, press play. Your official PJ Drummond for this match. And, uh, yeah, Hooligans kind of had a uh, grunge look at the time. Um, for all you youngins who don't, uh, understand what a grunge look is, uh, they were wearing white beaters, um, and, uh, had flannel shirts tied around their waist. Yes. And a stiff shot from, Whatever hooligan that is, I always get them confused uh, with Matt Cage. Matt Cage picks him up and back to the canvas. And, man, this just. Tag in to Neil Diamond Cutter. Uh, Yeah. Cutter was always small, but, man, did he pack a lot of dynamite. Oh, yeah, definitely. And Cutter, we just talked about his size. He's trying to power the big man off the ropes and gets cut off. I believe that's Devin Cutter in the ring. Yes, that's Devin Cutter with Neil Diamond Cutter in there. And Hurricane spinning head scissors, and now Mason Cutter comes in and gets the arm drag and a hip toss. And you will hear uh, Ed Schumann, if you listen to the audio on this, critiquing this match in the background. Um, He was sitting next to the person that was filming it. Good old Ed Schumann. We'll talk more about him in a little bit. Good spot there from Neil Diamond Cutter. Cover attempt here. One, two. And you're going to have to do a lot more than that to put away the hooligans. Who... Very, very uh, dominant tag team. This is when they were first getting discovered. And, man, these two were just as br- – oh, look at that. Brutal shot to the face in the corner. My God. Could have rearranged his whole jaw there. PJ had his hands full with these two, let me tell you. I know you did, too, when you had to ref their match. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Neil Diamond Cutter trying to fight back and gets cut off again by uh, now Devin Cutter in the ring. Devin makes a tag to Mason. And, you know, these, these guys had everything that I wanted for a tag match for this very first show. Just absolutely 100% solid tag team wrestling. When the, Ask for it any other way. No. Ringside photographer there, Steve Eichamp, trying to get all the action on film. And uh, now film. Devin Cutter mocking the I remember fans. film. <laughs> and Matt Cage desperately trying to get in there. And the hooligans just toying. Oh, referee has yeah, to hold tease. that cage back. 
Referee's which allows the illegal choke. Yes. The referee didn't see it, and as you know, as your job as a ref, you didn't see it, it didn't happen. Yep. Oh, what a maneuver double-team action from the hooligans from Mason Cutter cover attempt on Neil Diamond Cutter. Two count only, though. Neil Diamond Cutter desperately needs to make the tag and, to the fresh Matt Cage. Yeah, and if and if you think about it, I mean the, the hooligans were not small guys. I mean they were they were about two two twenty two thirty apiece. So for one to flip off off the other one, that was uh, that was quite a feat. And Devin did a good job of cutting Neil Diamond Cutter off from the tag attempt with uh, Matt Cage. And that was suplex. And again, mocking the fans. These two quickly became hated in Ashton. Let me tell you that. Oh, yeah. And now a shot to Matt Cage. And now Mason choking Neil Diamond Cutter. P.J. Drummond again has to stop Matt Cage from coming in, and Devin Cutter is just toying with Matt Cage while Mason chokes him on the ropes. Cover attempt here, two count again. Now, one thing that I think gets lost um, in, uh, in talking about the hooligans, because they always talk about the fact that uh, they were big and they always – you know, they they did have a bit of a brawling style to them, but they also had very good psychology. Um, they knew how to they knew how to get the fans to give to give them the reaction that they wanted. Um, Hurricane Rana, uh, whether it be by yeah, and then Mason the cuts off the tag attempt again and kicks Matt Cage in the face. And these two, you're talking about psychology. This is classic heel heat right here. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you've you've knocked the you've knocked the partner completely out of the ring, and that, and got your and got your uh, smaller and technically weaker guy um, completely all alone by himself. And then you get, uh, then you finally get where the where uh, Cage comes in, breaks up the pin, and another another nice little uh, heel spot with the choke. Absolutely. And that and, knee right and the, to the now. That's the funny temple. thing. You notice this. You notice one thing though, Sean. They, I mean, this was a spot, and this was probably one of the few errors I can I can count on with the with the hooligans on that they actually lay legitimately tagged yes Drummond's back was to them they could they could have just they could have just done a switch you know one claps one claps their hands and they switch and of course you know, which would have gotten the fans even more irate so Neil goes and up, then, gets caught, but now I wonder what happened there. It looks like it looks like uh, he looks like Cutter even either slipped on the ropes or the ropes weren't as tight as they 
should have been. Now he did he he got it right the second time, but that is that's a fundamental that's a fundamental error. You you if you miss a spot, you don't go back for it again. You do something and different. Now, like a house of hot fire, Matt Cage is in and taking it to both hooligans. Beautiful back suplex and an Enziguri kick to the. I mean, he's just like a house of fire. Yeah, that was a step up in Enziguri. That's the that you see Samoa Joe do. Then a side slam to Cutter making a dive off the ropes. Then you get Cage going. Um. With sort of a Mishinoku style suplex there. Yes. And the, the hooligans are now back in charge. Uh, Devin, I believe that is, came back in and cut off Matt Cage right. and Neil down. Clothesline in the corner and now a boot to the face. Well, they're setting up something here. Backbreaker followed by a leg drop. From the backbreaker, and this could be it here on Matt Cage cover one, two, three. And Neil Diamond Cutter just did not recover here. And uh, unfortunately, the hooligans are going to pick up the victory here over Neil Diamond Cutter and Matt Cage. And wait a minute. Yeah. The hooligans. Oh, maybe this isn't over. No, this is not over. I thought it was. My mistake. And uh, Neil Diamond Cutter being poached. Perched on the top rope along with Matt Cage on the other side here. Oh, this this could be big. They don't call it high risk for nothing, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Neil Diamond Cutter comes off but gets caught by both hooligans. But Matt Cage kicks Neil Diamond Cutter into both hooligans. Cover attempt here on both hooligans, only a two count. What an amazing maneuver that was. And he hit him with the spike drop Neil Diamond Cutter did. Matt Cage hit something. Double pin attempt here, but again, only a two count. And Neil going for it again, but gets thrown over the top rope out to the outside. Low blow, and the hooligans got the tights. One, two, three. That's it. They have picked up the win on Matt Cage and Neil Diamond Cutter here at RWF Arisen in September of 2009 in Ashton, Illinois. My God. Now, here's what you did not see that we did not have on camera. After this match, the hooligans attacked Matt Cage, who were aided in the attack by Neil Diamond Cutter, who revealed to us all that he was the literal brother of the hooligans. This attack was stopped as the Mississippi Madman came in to help Matt Cage. And one yell of the Mississippi Madman, this is my house, and all three of the hooligans scurried to the back. I do remember that very fondly. That's Well, you got to think about it. If Matt Cage would have teamed with the Mississippi Madman against those hooligans, those two could have taken on all three of them. And my money would have been on Madman and Cage at that point, even with three hooligans. Yep. 
um, three-way, the Canadian Cougar, Aaron O'Ryan, Bobby Valentino. Aaron O'Ryan I knew from HDWA Midwest. Uh, he had had some classic matches with Chris Corvitz. Uh, Bobby Valentino I did not know, and Canadian Cougar I did not know. But, man, these three had a very exciting matchup that was back and forth, very different styles between all three of them. Uh, I, I, Canadian Cougar, I guess, would be a luchador because um, he was masked. Um, Aaron O'Ryan, mm-hmm. definitely uh, somebody out of Michigan that has made a name for himself. And Bobby Valentino, big on the Wisconsin scene. So these, these three had a fantastic match. Um, Mississippi Madman against Bucky Collins with Tyler Pregel in his corner. Uh, Mississippi Madman had worked for my brother and I in 2007. Um, we kind of kept an eye on him from SCW and some of the stuff that Ed Schumann was doing with him. Um, Bucky Collins, I had trained with a little bit with Bobby Houston, and that's also where Tyler Pregel trained. Um, so I need a last minute guy and Bucky was happy to come in and fill in this almost turned into a two on one. Um, but I put a stop to that. I, w- I would not allow that. And, uh, Mississippi Madman was able to, um, squash Bucky Collins like a bug, unfortunately. Um, we had big plans for the Mississippi Madman. He got sick during this time or had an injury, and was not able to make the other two events, but we had big, Ed had some big plans for him in RWF. Um, Then we had Mason Beck against Chris Corvus. Chris Corvus was a guy, like I said, that I knew from from HCWA Midwest. And um, Mason Beck I had known from working on Bobby Houston shows, and he'd been brought into HCWA as well. Uh, these two had another fantastic match, man. Just absolutely good, good stuff. You couldn't ask for it to be better. Uh, but I think the match of the night has to go to these two, Kyle O'Reilly, Tony Kazina. Oh, yeah. Absolutely okay. fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Kyle O'Reilly, we know where he is now. He's with NXT, Undisputed Era. Um, outstanding yep. talent. I knew it when I saw him. Absolutely great stuff. Um, this match originally was supposed to feature Dingo. Dingo was, I believe, one of the IWH held some kind of title over at IWA Mid-South. I, he may have been their main champion and was wrestling in the match and had his jaw dislocated in the weeks leading up to this event. So he was not able to make it. Had he been able to make it, it would have been Dingo versus Kyle O'Reilly versus Tony Kazina, and it still would have been match of the night. Um, I don't care what anybody says about mm-hmm. Dingo. Dingo was an outstanding, outstanding talent. Um, then your main event. Well, actually, before that, I came out and I made an announcement. I announced that our next show would be October 23rd, right back here at the Mills and Petrie in Ashton. And I announced that we were going to have a special guest. And that special guest would be the king of old school, Steve Carino. And I did not announce his opponent uh, at that time. We waited to do that, kind of uh, let the fans build anticipation. Um, But that was a huge announcement that got a huge pop. Nobody had seen Carino in that area before. And uh, very exciting stuff. And now we go to the main event. It's Silas Young. It's Rashi Brown. The NWA Midwest heavyweight title is on the line. And 
man, this thing goes to a 20-minute Broadway. Mm-hmm. No distinctive winner. And now we're going to go to our other watch-along. If you put into the search bar on YouTube, Almighty Sheik invades NWA Midwest and RWF, you will get this video. And in three, two, one, press play. And this was, I did not even know this was going to happen. Here we see Skull Crusher, Rashi Brown, and Silas Young. Silas with the belt after the 20-minute Broadway with Rashi Brown, a hard-fought battle between these two. You see all the fans here in Ashton. And Silas. Yeah. And now we see a figure, One and I don't know I who this about is. That, about that building, Sean, is the fact that you did have a uh, built-in seating area, as well as you know, being chairs at one side. Right. And then, boom, she attacks Silas with the chair. We didn't even know this was going to happen, folks. Uh, and now the almighty Sheik has invaded the NWA Midwest and the RWF and attacked the NWA Midwest heavyweight champion, Silas Young. P.J. Drummond trying to get the Sheik off Silas Young. The Sheik pulls the most devastating thing anybody could out of their boot, the historic Golden Spike. And security because they did not know about this, were, were not going to put their own safety in jeopardy and hit that ring. And now he's got the spike, and he drills Silas in the head. And now he's grinding that metal spike into the forehead of Silas Young. That spike sharp as sharp can be. And, oh, my, I believe Silas is, yes, Silas has been busted wide open from that spike. And he's driving the spike into the forehead again of Silas Young, who is a bloody mess at this point. And now he's going to, the Sheik's going to apply the camel clutch. And or at least the half clutch. Silas is bloody, a bloody mess. And at this point, I had to get on the microphone. I had to try to, I didn't even know if this guy spoke English. Um, You hear me say here (laughs) that he has been granted the NWA Midwest Heavyweight Championship match next month by order of NWA President N. Schumann, but if he does not want that title shot taken from him, He better leave my ring and leave my ring now after the events that he just did to Silas Young, the champion. Um, I run for my life because I am legitimately scared of this guy. Um, And we can cut off. uh, You can see um, he's, you know, going around terrorizing the fans and terrorizing everybody that he can. And Silas is left in the ring a bloody, broken mess. 
and that's where we're going to cut this video off. And this was not scheduled to actually take place on this first show. This all happened uh, the week of the event because uh, Ed had gotten sick and she could come up to be with Ed, and it just so happened to be the weekend of my event. So she stayed to be a part of the first event, and this is what Ed had come up with uh, for his debut. And I tell you folks, I look back at this, and my God, I, I, I get chills. Because this, this is what wrestling that I grew up watching was. This is the wrestling that I watched here in LaSalle, Peru as a child. This is the wrestling that I was used to on television. These kind of angles, that kind of heat. Now, we don't have these type of angles and this type of heat. Because we're going to do a deep dive again in October of the second show. And you're going to hear the USA chance that Silas gets against the Sheik at our second event. And my God, that's heat. Okay, I don't – guys say, yeah, I can go out there and get heat. Can you go out there and get heat like that? Because literally I had to have the police officer escort the Sheik out of the building after that. Because literally I, I mm-hmm. literally thought one of those people was going to be nuts enough to try something. Yeah. I mean, and this video got posted, I believe, the day or two after the show, and uh, that's when I got the phone call from Steve Kane, and he says, I didn't know you were doing stuff like this up there. When do I get to come in? Um, because nobody – look, everybody, everybody that knew me thought that this first show was going to tank, and it didn't. And a lot of people were pissed that it did. Jay Repsol was one of those people. Um, who put the ban on Dreamwave talent working for me or Ed at that point because he was threatened. He was legitimately threatened uh, what was going to happen. And like I said earlier in the program, John Kometz had become an NWA territory in Princeton now. So the original concept of getting John Kim- idea of getting John Kometz behind the NWA and on board with the NWA is I was also going to be booking there too. Uh, Kometz decided he solely wanted to do that on his own, um, which was fine. Um, but uh, NWA Optimum did, you know, unfortunately we ran sh- three shows with the NWA banner NWA Optimum ran two. Um, it's just the way that that kind of went down. Now there was other talent that was slated for this first RWF event in Ashton, uh, a guy by the name of Ben Outlaw and a tag team by the name of the Mobile Homers, who I had been keeping an eye on by watching OVW online. And these guys, all three of them were very talented. Unfortunately, we had a disagreement and a falling out over booking. Um, we, we locked in one price, and they wanted to try to change that, and I was not going to allow that. Um, Gavin Alexander was booked for this event. Uh, he had a family emergency that night. Chief Atakula Kula was booked for this event. He had his shoot job call him in that day and was not able to make it. Um, Adam Evans double booked himself. He was living in Florida. Um, double booked himself after he'd gotten the air ticket. So um, we had some other stuff, you know, planned for this event. 
but um, we did the best we could. And this was a fantastic card for uh, the first impression that we would leave on everybody. It was it was something that I was very proud of. I look back at it, and I'm still proud to this day because there was a lot of top-quality talent on that event. Um, I went out and did things like get LRB distributors, which was Budweiser, on board to get us banners and went out of my way to try to get as many sponsors as I could for the event. Um, that did not I'll, – I'll be the first one to admit sponsorship has not always been my strongest suit. Um, and even back then at 18, it definitely was not my strong suit. Um, we, uh, you know, a lot of people have to understand that I was, uh, I was hobbling my way around. I, I had a boot on, um, cause I was recovering from having the ACL relengthened and, uh, three days prior to launching this event, I had gotten some of the most devastating news I'd ever gotten in my life. So it took a lot of people being able to talk me through, um, this first event because it was very hard. Um, I went forward with the event because of everything that had been set up for it. And I had to prove to myself and everybody else that this could be done. Um, there were a lot of people that talked negatively about some of the talent that were, was used or was going to be used but at the end of the day, their um, complaints were null and void because they had not been at the event and they did not see everything that that first event had produced, like Kyle O'Reilly versus Tony Cuisine or some of those other matches, um, or the ending with the Sheik. It was something that was all done because of my relationship with Ed. And people think that I took that yeah. for granted, and I never did. I never did. I wish I had five minutes with a man to this day to, th- to thank him again for everything that he mm-hmm. did for us in 2009 because Ed had a vision that shared mine, and he wanted to see this thing succeed. He really believed in the ability that I was bringing to the table and really believed that with the right tools we could do this and that, yes, this, you know, we, we're going to try to pack them in as best as we can. We knew after the first event it was going to be a building process. Um, we didn't know how slow of a build, but we knew that it was going to be a building process. Now we, like I said, we came back in October of 2000 or uh, October of 2009, and that show featured uh, Steve Carino against Kyle O'Reilly, Nicole Matthews against Mischief. And Silas versus um, Sheik, as well as um, Mr. Wrestling 3 right. versus Tony Kazina. So there, there were four big mm. matches right there on, on that second card. Um, and that was before you even got to what, what is referred to as the undercard, which was still really good um, on top of that. And then uh, the third show is where Steve came in, which was unthankful. Um, that was slated to be the rematch between Sheik and Silas. Silas did not make it. Sheik defended against um, Chief Atakula Kula, and that's, uh, that was mm-hmm. the night that ended in the infamous fireball. Oh, God, yes. So, um, 
a lot of fond memories, and we'll be taking deeper dives into the October and November show in October and November. I would not trade my time that I, uh, of promoting in 2009 for anything in the world. I would not trade my time under the tutelage of Ed Schumann for anything in the world. Um, it was a pure uh, 100% blessing. Um, and Ed did not like all of the talent that I used, but a majority of the guys that he got to know with working with me would have gone really far had Ed not passed. He was very high on the hooligans. He was very high on O'Reilly. Um, He wanted to see some other people that we were bringing in do better. And we did not run December of 2009 for the simple fact that there had been some things that were happening within the structure of the company that were not going to allow us to um, be able to pull it off the way I intended to. Um, Because what I originally wanted to do with that fourth show in Ashton, which would have been the fourth event, was make it a benefit for Toys for Tots. And between uh, my personal funding and the the funding from my financial backers, Along with wanting to do that benefit, we we could not all come to an agreement that was uh, agreeable for everybody that was going to make everything work and still make it a benefit, um, which, hey, if we could have done it, we would have loved to do it. People tell you that. We wanted to be back in Ashton in December yeah. of 2009 more than anything in the world. Um, now, a lot of people don't know that there were other plans for the RWF. We ran October uh, 23rd, 2009, because the following night, October 24th, 2009, the Sheik was slated to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in Chicago for an NWA Lucha promotion against Blue Demon Jr. Swear to God, if if I'm lying, I'm flying. Swear to God, this is the honest to God truth. What was slated to come back for December... We were going to be bringing Steve Carino back, was the original plan, and Sheik was going to come back with the NWA world title. So we had a lot of combustible elements. You had Sheik and Silas. You had, um, we'll talk about, I'm going to spoil this a little bit, but you had Steve Carino get involved in the match between Sheik and Silas in October which meant that there was now tension between Sheik and Sil- uh, uh, Carino and Silas. So uh, a lot of combustible elements to where if we would have brought all three of them back at that December event and put the, all three of them in the same ring, even if the NWA world title wouldn't have been on the line, if it would have just been for the NWA Midwest heavyweight title, a lot of combustible elements. And you had a promo that Carino delivered in October of 2009 at our event where he challenged, uh, basically made a statement that said that he was deserving of an NWA world title shot and would have gotten it in our company. Um, those were the original intentions before, you know, things went south and had passed away. Um, and look, I had the NWA World Women's title defended in my company. I had the NWA World Tag Team titles defended in my company. Those two things are something that I will hold in the biggest honors 
of promoting, and I'll take that to my grave. I would have loved to have the 10 pounds of gold, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, defended in my company. Unfortunately, it did not happen that way. Um, because, you know, the NWA Lucha show got canceled. But man, you think of the possibility of that. That's why people were threatened, okay? Because people, people knew that Ed was going to do this and do this his way, and that if he was going to tie himself to a company, he was going to make sure that his vision was followed. And I had no problem with that because Ed's vision was pure quality. And that's all we wanted was to be quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, um, you know, I think we had a lot of fun. Um, it was hard. A lot of people didn't think it, I, it would happen. And I, I had my doubts about it, but I did it. And I told people that I was going to run my first show at age 18. I actually ended up running three before I turned 19. So I'm very proud of myself in that regard. Um, it's because of my efforts with RWF that Steve and I have the relationship that we have today because he came in and saw what I was doing in 2009 and said, this is somebody that I want to work for, number one, and number two, this is somebody I can help. And in the later years, in 2012, and even Russell Wars and uh, trying to promote last year, Steve has always been a big asset. Um, and that's why he's part of the radio show still to this day. He's been a big asset mm-hmm. and a big help. Um, there were a lot of things in 2009 that could have gone better. But given what they were, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Um, so we're going to go to some other breaking news at this point. Um, and uh, we're probably going to wrap up here in the next probably 30 or so minutes, maybe before then. Um, we have some interesting news coming out of Impact Wrestling. And... Uh, Steve, I don't. I know you talked about this on the Dean's Den a little bit last night, but I, I read this this morning and was blown away by what is going to be happening in Impact Wrestling. Yeah. Honestly, uh, this is a moment I never thought I'd see. Mm-hmm. The Rock is going to be appearing on Impact Wrestling to induct Ken Shamrock into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame. I'm very happy that Impact is doing this and, and getting this opportunity. I hope it brings some more viewers to Impact because Impact right now has a lot of good talent and they're do, trying to do a lot of good stuff. Um, we talked earlier this week on, on Thursday about what Ring of Honor is doing right now. There's a lot of good stuff going on in the wrestling world. And um, look, Ken Shamrock came back. I don't I, you know, came back to wrestling. I didn't expect to see that. Nobody, I don't think anybody expected to see that. And he's, he's kicked ass. He's in shape. He's, you know, he's not the Ken Shamrock of the 1990s. No, no. but he's still, I would not want to get in the ring with that guy. Absolutely not. And 
you know, The Rock inducting him is a huge honor. Um, I can't believe it's really happening. I think Vince McMahon is certainly pissed. Got got to be hot. But I will say this. At this point, I don't believe that Vince views impact as big of a threat as what he does AEW, which is probably why he he's pissed, but not as pissed as what he would be if it was AEW. Right. Well, that's why that's why Vince is back in, uh, um, and this was something I didn't get to cover last night. And uh, we obviously you know, were a little bit too um, tied up uh, emotionally as well as uh, um, well, otherwise uh, to to do this, but. Um, but uh, WWE has filed in opposition of uh, Cody, who is trying to, um, who has filed trademarks for uh, Slamboree and the Match Beyond. Um, and what they're claiming is they purchased the rights to those concepts after acquiring WCW in March 2001. They're still being utilized on. Um, utilized on the WWE network. And they're also arguing that they've been using those labels for so long. They're now quote, indelibly linked together in the minds of the public. Um, Bullshit. And sorry, they're I just stating to that. Cody's attempt to trademarking these names is an quote, attempt to unfairly trade on their longstanding use and recognition. Yeah, that's okay. You're, you're right, Sean. Yes. They have never used Slamboree. The only reason that they brought Clash of Champions is because they heard, they heard that either the NWA was going to try to pick it up again or that Cody was going to try to use it to do his own thing. Um, the only reason they want the match beyond is because they're, they're going to try to block Cody's attempt at uh, War Games, which, look, his father created War Games. Vince, you bought the rights to it. You don't get to – you don't do it the way it was originally intended. Um, and Cody's going to do it more justice than what you ever could. Um, there's other pay-per-view names. The Great American Bash, you still have the rights to that. You don't use that anymore. If you don't use it, it's going to be gone. And he brought back Starcade because, again – Cody or the NWA was going to use it. It's the only reason he's made these active. Otherwise, they sit there and lay dormant because they're, you know, Slamboree was, um, it was actually, I believe, the name might have been Dusty's, but the concept was Bischoff's because he wanted to do something that would uh, be able to bring in and tie in the old timers of the business. And that's why um, the early Slamborees in the early 90s were Legends reunions. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, what, yeah, man, that's we, what they were known as, Slamboree, a Legends reunion. And um, some of those, you go back and look at the cards on some of those, some of those were spectacular. I mean, my God. But I don't think that Cody should not be entitled to these trademarks. I think if they're going to sit oh, there and let them, 
let him lay dormant, let him go. If somebody wants it and is willing to yep. pay for it, let it go. Um, I think that Cody's going to be doing a lot of interesting stuff. I'm hoping that 2021 can be a better year for the wrestling business than what 2020 has been. Um, really, really hoping for that. I know that uh, there are a lot of shows going on tonight and uh, that went on last night um, in different states that are drawing and people are attending, and I'm thankful right. for that. But unfortunately, yeah. here in my state, yeah. uh, that is not happening. And until that can happen... Well, the Warrior Wrestling I, um, event is uh, is happening. Um, yeah, but the big stuff uh, is uh, in uh, about two weeks and that's over and that's over in Indiana with uh, uh, the collective AAW comes back Thursday night at uh, Bourbon Street they have a very big card it's going to be Mance Warner defending his AAW World Championship against Jake Christ uh, that should be a hell of a matchup um, they were slated to come back to LaSalle this year before COVID hit um, and it Probably 2021 on that if it if it can happen. While I right. don't agree with everything they do, they had my respect. Danny Daniels will always have my respect. He was a long-standing talent here at Revolution Championship Wrestling, um, and here in LaSalle. So, you know, they they lost a lot of money this year um, by trying to do some things that were going to advance their ability to do streaming and other things. So um, support them the best you can. And there's a lot of good shows going on on different networks um, that you can watch. And we know that um, we know that there's going to be some stuff coming to TV. Uh, I, I'm going to let Steve pronounce the name of the network. MLW is coming to TV. That's all I know. <laughs> Well, they're already on TV. The uh, replays are on uh, BN Network, but uh, they're doing on the online Fubo channel, and they're and they're on Wednesday nights. Um, actually, they're on before AEW is, so you can watch them for an hour, and then uh, you can go ahead and turn uh, AEW on on your uh, on your TV on uh, TNT. And USA Championship Wrestling in Tennessee, I'm seeing live video from our friend Herb Simmons. Uh, USA Championship Wrestling in Tennessee, huge house tonight for the 50th anniversary celebration of Jerry the King Lawler. Yep. That should be a good event. That is a hell of a career. 50 years. And I tell you what, uh, that man's been through hell and back, but an icon in the wrestling business, uh, and true definition of the word legend. He's still still there. I believe he might even be wrestling tonight, Steve. That's just breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. To think of that. I. Yeah, I, you know, it amazes me that number one at his age, but then number two, 
having had the uh, near-fatal heart attack uh, live on national TV. It's like, boy, oh, boy. Absolutely. Um, So Warrior Wrestling tonight, uh, you can catch that, I believe, on IWTV or I believe that's what it's called. Um, Right now in the ring, well, uh, 29 minutes ago in the ring, was Suicide versus Moose. Um, So these guys really try to bring top talent to where they run. Um, And... They're doing a good job of it, okay? There's, their shows are highly, highly um, reviewed and rated. So definitely if you get a chance to check that out, go ahead and do so. Um, you know, as for us tonight, I wanted just to take a moment of everybody's time to kind of give homage to uh, my baby, my company, BRWF and uh, try to bring up some current news that's going on and um, I believe that that's pretty much going to do it for us here tonight I'd like to thank everybody for joining us here and um, want you to remember tomorrow night is a pay-per-view it'll be Clash of Champions God I wish they weren't using that name Really wish they weren't using that I know. name. Um, I know. Clash of Champions tomorrow night, and um, we'll be talking about that on Thursday. Right back here uh, for Rampage Rant Thursday Night Turmoil. Uh, next week is going to be our one week anniversary, the seventh or er, one week anniversary, our seven year anniversary, the seventh and eighth of Dude. October. And uh, we will be having some guests with us. We're lining that up as we speak, uh, working vigorously on that. You have to understand, folks, um, because wrestlers are not, um, you know, working as often as what they were. Some of them have taken up other jobs. So it all comes down to availability. We are going to make this anniversary as big as what we can. And we want you to join us live for that. Friday night live from the Dean's Den as always and uh, we want to say happy anniversary to our own Chaotic Katie and um, she is celebrating her anniversary today and she otherwise she would have been with us and uh, let's see what else uh, make sure you check us out on Facebook and Twitter and uh, buy the merch and continue to support your local independent scene. Um, you'll know an Outlaw Mud Show when you see it. You've, you've been listening to us long enough now to know how to identify one of those. Support the good yep. companies. And um, Malia Hasaka in action tonight for IWA Mid-South. Remember to go support her. She's a dear friend of ours. She's going through a little bit of a rough yep. patch. I'm going to let Steve... Tell everybody uh, how they can go support her, go buy her merch, get her booked on shows, whatever you can do for her. Exactly. Do it. Yeah, because this is is it. Um, She loses her uh, regular job, which has been her uh, primary source of income on October 1st. And so she is now taking 
any bookings that she can get. Um, just got just got to make sure that the, that the money's right. I mean, yo, this lady is a is a top notch. She still is capable of performing well in the ring. Um, she and Medusa put used to put together some real classics for WCW. So, um, you know, if you if you know somebody that's uh, that's promoting, whether it be a convention or an actual show, you know, um, you know, she's she is she is available through Facebook or Instagram. Um, just you know, message her. Don't contact us. We know her. We're friends with her, but she is her own. She is her own independent contractor. She doesn't need an agent, so we are not her agent. And I think I just shut Sean up. Nope. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's been a great night. I wanted to remember everything that happened. And, uh, you know, it's uh, been great to be here with everybody to remember this. Honestly, eleven years uh, a year, years ago, September twenty sixth, two thousand nine, will be a night that I will never forget. Um, I want to say thank you again to everybody that was a part of that event, and everybody involved in making that event happen. And once again, thank you to the legendary Ed Schumann. With that being said, we will be back here Thursday night, Rampage Rants, Thursday night turmoil, and. Uh, We'll see you then. Good night, everybody.